Hello and welcome to the Dave NBA podcast. My name is Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boff from the Sportsman Man. How are we? I'm good. I need to do some stretching for this one after a week hiatus. <laughs> Make sure the voice box is all mm. um, stretched out and ready to go. Okay. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Because no, cool. I'm pro's pro. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good, man. Um, I've actually got a basketball story to start off the pod. What a story um, to start off the pod? <laughs> you wouldn't hear about it. So, I played basketball last night, and your natural question is, but Sean, you play on Mondays. What's this Wednesday that team? That is exactly what I was going to ask you. So, my new Wednesday team uh, is with my friend Ellie, and it's mixed basketball. And oh. I've never played mixed basketball in Richmond. Never yeah. played mixed basketball before. Um, so, I start the game. Win tip off, big probably, man, probably, big man team. probably a bit of an unfair jump, but that's right. <laughs> How tall was she? Uh, no, nah, it was a he, and he was quite small. Um, and and then I'm just playing like normal. Um, my friend Ellie, who's like the one who got me into the team, was just like, "Oh yeah, Sean, you'll be fine. Like you know, just play like normal basketball and stuff." Um, and I'm like, "Are there any rules with like restrictions? Where have you played mixed basketball before?" I have played mixed yeah, basketball. Yeah, so she, I'm like, "Are there any rules with restrictions?" And then two minutes later, she's like, "Oh yeah, you can't go in the key." And I'm like, "Oh." Yeah. Okay. Or she said something. She said something. She worded it where she was like, Oh, you're allowed in the key in the first half. And I'm like, Yeah, I fucking hope so. Like, yeah. I don't do much else outside <laughs> of the key, Ellie. Um, and then I'm sitting there, high post operator, got this massive view, right? Obviously, above a, a small person. Like, man, there's cuts to be made for days. And there's only two dudes on the court, me and this guy called Ben. Um, so I'm like, Ellie, fill the lane, big brother. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, she can, she can finish with the best of them. Um, and then she's like, oh, yeah, sure. And three minutes into the game, she's like, I can't go in the key. I'm like, I would have loved to know that before. Wait, why can't she go in the key? Because chicks can't go in the key. So at the start, is this no. different to yours? But if guys can't go in the key and well, chicks so, okay, can't go okay. in the key, who <laughs> can go in the key? So I got it wrong. The first half, guys were allowed in, not chicks. And then it flipped at halftime. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just thought, crazy, crazy dynamic. Because then at the start, I thought it was just on offense. And then on defense, I'm like, box out, man. She yeah. goes, no, no, it's defense as well. Yeah. And I'm like, far out. Wish I'd known this three minutes ago. Yeah. Um, and then in the second half, there was a there was like a steal running down. Not me, like the, this guy Ben. So obviously he's not allowed in the key in the second half. He's running down, um, chasing down this chick who's like got the ball on, on the fast break. And then I'm just thinking, he's not going to be able to go all the way, right? And then she just sprinted into the key and then slowed down because he's not allowed into the key. I'm like, this is such a weird dynamic. Like, what do you do? And then all of a sudden, the Daryl Morey There's a bit of Chris head. Paul about that move. Sprinting <laughs> in front of your opponent and then slowing down. <laughs> um, all of a sudden, the Daryl Morey in me was like, well, surely Ben just walks right into the key and gets a whistle blown against him because otherwise that's a free layup. That's free two points. You might as well just take it from the side out and wait for the defense to catch up. Um, so I brought that up at the next timeout, uh, and it might have been a little bit too much discussion um, for Wednesday social sport when this yeah, team is just flung It's also grossly <laughs> against the spirit of the game. <laughs> um, but, you know, Kevin Shady rushed behind, so it's in, in a similar vein. Um, but no, we didn't implement that. And then uh, the second team, this the the game after us couldn't fill the second team. So they said, do you guys want to play again? And I'm like, fucking, yeah, right. Of course. Like, fuck Earth, play some more games. Playing the second game, we're all very tired. We've just played a, a whole game. Um, and these guys were like, oh, do you mind if we just play normal rules? I'm like, yeah, 100%, that'd be great. So we don't have to think we can just do. Um, playing I bet everything. You ate. Huh? I bet you ate then. <laughs> 
I'm grunting for those who don't know. No, no, <laughs> cheeky, cheeky little, cheeky little eight and ten, but you know who's counting. Um, <laughs> and then, like, I'm I'm pretty exhausted, right? Like, I'm yeah. I'm not the fittest guy. And back to back games, five minutes to go in the second half. It's it's tired hours. And then I'm I'm standing up there, like I'm at the half court. We've just got a turnover, so this dude's quickly running back on the other side, and I'm just standing there, like I'm um, maybe I'll put a little hand in the cookie jar, but I'm not I'm not stressing out. He does the um, he does the Jamal Murray Lonzo ball, flick the ball around me, and run the other way, and everyone on his team's like, "Woo!" And I'm like, "Look at me! I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm glazed with sweat right now. There's no fucking way. He knows I just played a second I've just played my second game. Don't do that to me. And that is exactly how was it who did it to I think Jamal did it to Lonzo do you remember that um, when Lonzo was a Laker and then Is it not, was, it, was it not a Trey thing no no Trey Trey would have come after Jamal Murray but Jamal Murray like the game was over they are up by five points and then he flicked the ball around Lonzo and then said take that L on the way out um, and then Lonzo was like this is a rivalry and then it turned out not to be a rivalry yeah who would have um, thought but yeah I was like I was just thinking to myself, like, if I had known he was going to do that, I would have just grabbed his jersey and been like, ha, 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 you're not doing that to me. <laughs> but I'm just bewildered, drenched in sweat, exhausted. Did you win the game? Like, no, we lost, we lost both games. Yeah. But um, I don't know if you heard me. I said eight and ten. Like, it's not right, stat line. Um, there's nine in team if you spell it wrong. <laughs> um, well, that's a very, unf- that, like, it's a very unfulfilling results-wise, but great to get the running. Good to get the pumping. Yeah, good to get the two runs. Like I'd, I'd kill for a back-to-back game situation. You're dead by the end of it, but boy, mm. it's a fun loss at last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, um, especially a back-to-back game where it is social and you don't actually care about the result. Exactly, yeah. The Literally second game, being completely unburdened from the result <laughs> is like is a great, uh, a great liberator in social mm. sports. Um, also, obviously not being able to stand in the key in the second half, I was like fucking mid-range mastery right so i'm spotting up right in the perfect spot probably got fed about seven i'm sorry about five times it all felt amazing coming off the fingertips yeah none of them made it yeah with each passing shot i just missed more and more and more yeah all of a sudden went from back rim to front rim to air ball to start of the rim and i'm like i'll see you guys next week no no the signs know when to stop Um, only a little bit over, you bloody idiot. So let's talk a little bit about news before we get into the week's topic. And I hope the hissing from the heater doesn't show up. Um, but for those being concerned, don't be concerned. It's a natural sound for a gas heater to make. If we do get carbon monoxide poisoning halfway through. It'll um, be recorded. Yeah, it'll be recorded. <laughs> um, so the biggest piece of news that happened just hours before this pod was that the Los Angeles Lakers have traded for Patrick Beverly, um, sending back Talon Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson to the Utah Jazz. Um, Can I just ask you a question straight off the bat? Yeah. Is this a good trade for the Lakers? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, when you look at the historical precedent that Rob Polinka didn't want to include THT in any trade for Kyle Lowry just 12 months ago, shocking. But in terms of the fact that THT hasn't played well for 12 months and you've been able to turn him to a rotation player. Like you've got two guys who shouldn't be in a playoff rotation for one guy who, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a player. Um, what do you think about this trade? I think it's a good trade in, you know, in late August 2022. <laughs> but right now, as the card stand, I think it's a great trade. Mm. But it's fucking hilarious to see how they've mismanaged <laughs> the THT asset. Mm. Like, mm. not only not including him in the trade, but the contract that they gave him 
33 million over three three years not only did he not play up to that the first year of that contract this year but mm. even if he did he'd be able to leave anyway because he's got a player option for his last year so he's essentially a potential um expiring contract um yeah and i mean like for for the return that you get for THT when his name had been bandied about you know in the Kyle Lowry trade concretely and then also at the end of last season THT in a 2027 first <laughs> <laughs> and all you come away from THT with is um is Patrick Beverly who is at this point 34 like, yeah like it's shocking he's still good which um, is concerning for the future the biggest yeah so he's 34 the biggest thing that I want to know though and this is less like NBA analyst and more like salacious gossip <laughs> He's going to be on the same team with Russell Westbrook. Yeah, but he might not be as well. Nah, but he probably will be though. <laughs> because, like, you know, I, I, I don't doubt that Westbrook will be traded at some point. But mm. I don't know if it's more likely that he's traded before the start of the season. Mm. Because if he was going to be traded, he would have been traded. Mm. So mm. this could definitely, like, Westbrook being on the team, like, def- like, I think Westbrook will definitely be on the team for the start of training camp. So uh, They're going to play at least pre-season games together. Yeah. They're going to be locked in the gym together, <laughs> both trying to get there earlier so they can say that he's the first <laughs> to get there and the last to leave. Yeah, it's 1am. It's like, man, I've been here since 1am. It's like, when is this guy going to leave? <laughs> and eventually it is 24 hours and you can just cycle around and never leave. But I think, like, I, I completely understand that. Like, yeah, if Russ was going to get traded, probably would have been by now. But I think there is also the KD slash Curry element where now that we know, which we'll talk about at the Curry, that KD has rescinded his trade request, now the dominoes are going to start to fall. Um, and funny little thing is that Isaiah Thomas said, fine, can we start signing contracts now? And then the, the Shanghai, Shanghai Sharks, Sharks just said, <laughs> all right, sign with us. But I think like, yeah, you know, if, if a big trade like this was going to happen, it might have already happened. But now let's I'm give it a week. Let's give it a week. I'm not necessarily saying that I, that, that, that I don't think that it'll happen. I'm yeah, just saying yeah. that there's a substantial chance that this like drags into training camp and, and that the these guys are in the, in the facility together yeah. um, and for those who don't know or might have forgotten the Patrick Beverly Westbrook beef specifically aside from everyone having beef with Pat Bev because he's fucking annoying <laughs> the, the beef comes from when well let's say like 2015 when Pat Bev was with Houston and he was in his like terrier point of attack mm. god like all he's the got that terrier in him <laughs> <laughs> he's got that terrier. Um, when he was in that that mode, that that mindset, and Westbrook brought the ball just over halfway mm. um, to call a timeout, and it was very obvious to every single person that's exactly what he was going to do. Mm. And Pat Bev dived at the ball, took out Westbrook's knee in the process, and was it a torn ACL? Yeah, so, I think it was a torn Something ACL. Something bad. Something bad. Westbrook missed the whole year. And it was a year that they were, you know, a very good shout to win, win yeah. the whole thing. And obviously, um, KD spent the season following without him by his side. And, like, I, I sometimes I'm guilty of watching videos and getting really furious. Like, you know, we've, we've talked about uncut gems and, you know, just watching videos that make you really emotional. But whenever I watch that video, I actually, like, my blood boils a little bit. It is such a dog play. And obviously, there's been heaps of Patrick Beverly stuff since then. But it is, it is pretty frustrating to watch that video when you know that that's a young up-and-coming team that had already made the finals and they were just ready to like you know potentially make another run 
pretty pretty fucked up <laughs> not even a basketball player so no yeah for sure and it's it's only gotten worse since then if you've heard them talking back and forth yeah there's been there's been beef in the intervening years for sure and Westbrook famously said about Pat Bev that he doesn't do anything he just runs around <laughs> and makes he's good would you like to hear the um as as you know you know we love Fox Fox Sports <laughs> over here um the Murdochs and Fox Fox News uh more generally no, but Fox Sports for purely comedic value, uh, we love here at the Dev 2. Would you like to hear, Sean, the um, title of an article published by Fox Sports about this very topic three hours ago? Yep. Enemies turn teammates as Lakers' $68 million dilemma trade takes twist. Oh, man. Um, right. I love these guys. They're so good. <laughs> so good. Um, we should touch on the Utah side of things before we move on. Um, do you like this from the Jazz point of view? Yeah, for sure. Because like Pat Bev is you hasn't know, played in, a game in no man's land in Utah. Like at this stage of his career, like he, his only role is to be on a playoff team. Mm. Um, <laughs> the Lakers might not even be a playoff team, but that's beside <laughs> the point. Um, and you may as well get a look at THT. You yeah. may as well just, you know. I think there's a non zero percent chance he becomes like oh, like a poor man's Trevor Ariza. Yeah, for sure. He's also he's also twenty one. He was mm. also really bad this year. Like, yeah. he was like not very good. <laughs> yeah. Um but if if the if the alternatives is like you are gonna be in a rebuild for at least the next two years, so paying him eleven million dollars per year doesn't really matter at all, mm. um, then okay, that's fine. Mm. Otherwise, if he's really good this year and he becomes a fifteen million dollar player and he opts out, well you can just pay him fifteen million dollars if you want. Yep. Um and at the you know, if he opts out and leaves, then you got rid of Pat Bev's contract and you got rid of THT's contract mm. and now you just have more room to take on bad contracts for draft picks if that's what you decide to do which as we'll touch on a little bit later is a you know a hallmark of someone like OKC they've made bank just taking on bad contracts with first round picks attached um, so I, I like it um, I think it it is a very clear not that we needed any more signal um, after the Gobert trade and all of the Mitchell rumours but it's a very clear signal of intent that this Utah team fully intends to be the worst team in the conference uh, all right, let's move on to the other piece of news for the week or slash day uh, is that the Brooklyn Nets have announced that the team and Kevin Durant have decided to quote move forwards with their partnership unquote. This is come coming from Brooklyn Nets PR um, in a statement released by the Nets PR team with a nice little boardroom stamp on. I fucking hated that to be honest. Boardroom ventures. I, oh, hate, I actually hate hated the that. quote. All right. no, 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 I hated that. The I hated that. So boardroom being. Um, Kevin Durant and his agent Mitch Kleiman's like business together I hated it felt like pandering Hmm. it felt like why does why does the players logo need to be on the team I think I think just to remove any confusion that it was from both parties I hated it okay well I'll read the quote from from Sean Marks that was in the press release uh, it says, quote, Steve Nash and I, together with Joe Sai, Clara Wusai, uh, met with Kevin Durant and Rich Kleiman in Los Angeles yesterday. We have agreed to move forwards with our partnership. We are focusing on basketball with one collective goal in, in mind, building a, build a lasting franchise to bring a championship to Brooklyn, end quote. <clears throat> so Kevin Durant will play for the Brooklyn Nets next season. Uh, sort of happy this has come to an end because the trade packages just seem to be getting worse by the day. So I'm happy that now it's like, okay, we're not going to send like send a bunch of peanuts for a soon-to-be 34-year-old Kevin Durant. 
Um, so, look, the Brooklyn Nets are still title contenders. I think if we look at their offseason and were to regrade it again, uh, I think they have had an excellent offseason in terms of using their MLE to bring in TJ Warren, re-signing Paddy Mills and what seems a little bit like an under-the-table, yeah, we'll pay you a little bit extra if you opt out and re-sign. They've obviously got someone like Seth Curry, who they got in the Ben Simmons trade. Ben Simmons recently cleared to play three-on-three, three, which is like, I actually forgot he was injured. Um and they traded for Royce O'Neal, which just seems to be a good fit on most title contending teams. But what do you think about this whole shebang? I think, um, I personally, I think that anyone who, anyone in the organization who's like, poor, I'm glad that's over, kidding themselves because, you know, I've been banging the drum for this, the whole time this iteration of the Nets has been perpetually falling apart. But with characters on board, like they, you know, who they've gotten themselves into bed with organizationally, like th- this isn't the last of the drama. This isn't the last mm. of the whole, um, of this whole shebang, as you put it. <laughs> Kyrie has one year left on his contract. Mm. So if things are going okay or going well, um, and the situation is this, that the Nets now have to offer Kyrie Irving an extension or or like lose him to unrestricted free agency and potentially damage the collective goal to build a lasting franchise and bring a championship to Brooklyn. If if that goal hinges on whether you're going to give Kyrie Irving a four-year max or a five-year max, mm. that will that will potentially become contentious very quickly. Mm. And not only with Kyrie, but also with KD. Because if KD you know, is like, I'm sticking around. You have to take care of this guy. Mm. Cool. Then you get, if you take care of him, you get KD to stick around. Mm. But then you've given Kyrie Irving a five-year max. Which is something they said they didn't want to do this offseason so, before he ended up picking up his, picking up his option. So I think, I think, uh, and this is something that I, um, Kevin O'Connor uh, wrote about on The Ringer today, that the the foundations are like, like I think probably irreparably damaged. Like this... It is not a situation that can necessarily be salvaged to a championship degree. Like mm. I am, and I, I firmly believe that because, like TJ Warren, amazing, great mm. value add. TJ Warren's played how many games in the last two to three years? Zero. Like since the bubble, he's essentially not played. Well, he literally hasn't he, played. He hasn't played. And 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 the the most concerning thing about the the Warren injury last year was that he was like going to be ready to play, and mm. then like in training camp they were like no actually his foot's not going to be ready to go and it just kept getting pushed back and back and back like mm. that's never a good sign mm. um, and also Royce O'Neal is overrated at this stage <laughs> in his career so I don't actually I'm not actually like doing backflips about that addition um, so I wouldn't I mean we did our we did our grades like I wouldn't necessarily go through and give them like a super high grade because I just I'm so certain that somehow, some way, this will fall apart at some point this season. Mm. And there's no guarantee that Durant doesn't just request a trade in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there, there was a follow-up report <coughs> from, who was it? Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN that both the Nets and Durant were a little bit shocked at the uh, the lack of a trade market for you know, arguably the second best player in the world. Um, and who's who's to say that that market's well, there going was to get tra- better? There was a trade market. The Nets just decided that they didn't want any of the players available. Mm. They could have had DeAndre Aiden and however many first-round picks they wanted if they decided they, they wanted DA. Mm. Or Jalen Brown. And I, or, or, the, yeah. the final offer there was Jalen Brown, um, Derek White, and two first-round picks from the Celtics. Which that is, was, that was is, a concrete offer. Which is which is a great offer. Yeah. That's yeah. a great offer. Um, the DA offer with as many first-round picks as you want is a, is a great offer. 
Um, I'll draw the, the Boston offer. No, no, but I'm saying... Like, I know, there's offers on the table. There's offers on yeah, the table. Yeah, yeah. So for them to be like, poor, we're just really surprised that like more didn't get offered. It's like, well, actually, a lot of good stuff got offered and mm. you decided that it wasn't worth your time. Yeah. And fair enough, because it's Kevin fucking Durant. Mm. On a basketball level, they made the absolute right play in keeping him around. Mm-hmm. On a basketball, so much more than... Um, you know, so much more than on the court, though. It's so intangible. And on an intangibles level, your best player who you've moved heaven and earth to keep and convince to move forward mm. three weeks ago was demanding that the whole front office gets fired, <laughs> which led to the owner tweeting out saying, we're not firing the front <laughs> office. That's a completely, like, unprecedented um, Situation. scenario in, yeah. the, in, the, in the, the recent NBA. Like, there's no analog for that. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, like, throw in the fact that, like, the second best player on the team and the third best player on the team are not paragons of stability that can bring Kevin Durant back down to earth. You've potentially got the two most volatile players in the NBA over the last few years in Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons, and you're relying on them. And I can't think of, a, like, a, a more terrifying sentence than I am relying on Kyrie Irving. That's which is the fundamental reality of this team. Ben Simmons... <laughs> Far out. You got some words on this. <laughs> ben Simmons has been cleared for three-on-three three at the end of August. There's two months until the season starts. If Ben Simmons isn't on the court at the start of training camp, I I am going to have an actual conniption. <laughs> an actual conniption. Um, to, to summarize, <laughs> to summarize, Nets bad. Nets break soon. Yeah, and like those offers, can I just correct myself? It was one first round pick coming from Boston instead of two. But those offers, like, you know, if teams get desperate by the trade deadline, maybe the offers get better. And that's just that's just the leverage play because in the off season, everyone's got their best case scenario in their head. So obviously, you're not going to have your best. And offer. the other thing is that they limited themselves artificially because they said we want to look for offers that will only help us to compete. Mm. If they had said we're open to anything mm. and a bad team came to them and made them an, an offer that knocked them away of picks and young players, like they could have just done that and mm. said, if we get enough value for this guy, like we'll pivot into a tank. We'll pivot into building around young players. Like, you know, mm. the Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley got bandied about and there was discussions about, would you, wouldn't you? Um, but, you know, if some, if some team came along and said, here, take this 21-year-old and it's- 10 picks... It's hard to tank though. Ten picks, ha ha ha. But it's it's hard it's hard to tank because Houston, you know, just has their future by a nut grasp. No, but the thing that you're getting in that is a premium blue chip player, yeah. which is what all the other teams are tanking for anyway. You already get, mm. you know, the yeah. other teams are tanking for Evan Mobley or Scotty Barnes. You get Evan Mobley or Scotty Barnes as well as future cracks. At the yeah, end. but what have you learned about the NBA? You don't just need one star. No, um, but but I, um, I'm not saying that they should have it's done a good that. Start. I'm just saying yeah, that yeah. in terms of them saying oh, the, the market yeah. didn't eventuate, and it's like, well, a you limited yourself to like twelve teams that could even theoretically make you an offer, mm. um, and then you decided you didn't want the best trades asset, assets from all of those teams. Mm. Um, anyway. Well, that's the news of the week because we're not going to talk about the flurry of reports coming out of New York that, oh, like, re- report in inverted commas. It's a very Stephen Bond. <clears throat> the New York, the New York, um, the, the New York media market loves inverted comma reports. <laughs> they actually thrive off of it. <laughs> um, do you want to introduce our major topic for this episode? We're going to talk about tanking. <laughs> We're going to talk about tanking because each year there's an unprecedented amount of teams that are just saying we are 
going to be bad. We have no intention of being good. We're going for the lottery balls, even though that's harder to do. It's harder to get those lottery balls bouncing your way in recent years because of the flattened lottery odds. Um, but I think a good place to start with this is just that there's so many teams employing different approaches to mm. how they want to tank. Like we've got the air to the process sixes in the OKC Thunder. Um, you've got a team like San Antonio who has attempted and failed to stay relevant and is now just in like complete teardown mode, shedding any assets that it can, bringing in young players and picks. You've got someone like the Detroit Pistons who are, you know, trying to get those ping pong balls and loading up on premium talent, but also supplementing their roster with like useful slash semi-useful veterans. Uh, we'll talk about that. We can talk about that. Um, <laughs> So I think I think that's a good place to start. Um, what do you think overall? If you're building a tank from the ground up, like what's your direction? How are you going to do this? If you want to, let's put a timeline on it and say be good again within three to four years. Like what are you doing? Is that is that ever the directive you see from these tanking teams three to four years or is it longer? What do you think? Well, I mean, okay, so they've said that as long as it takes, yeah. but someone like um, Indiana, um, I've kind of t- like termed what they're doing with their tank, like an in and out tank. It, it almost yeah. reminds me more of, of like a, um, that you might see in the, yeah, it's a retool, not a rebuild. Yeah. You might see it in the NFL or, Chelsea in the APL a few seasons ago did it. They had a transfer ban, so they just said, we're going to spend one year developing all of our young players and Mm. then we'll be back. Mm. Indiana, historically, has had no appetite for a tank and Mm. I do not expect them to say as long as it takes or even three years. Yeah. Um, I I think they're going in. They're going to try and get as high a draft pick as they can um, and they're going to come out with Halliburton their draft pick Benedict Matherin who they picked this year and whatever they get in return for their trades and say like okay this is yeah, it yeah I just think yeah so the Pacers are in a little bit of a different situation because like out of outside of the Thunder no one else has a team as good as Tyrese Halliburton like Tyrese Halliburton I wonder what his ceiling is whether it's first team second team third team all NBA or just high end all star do you uh, think that he's got NBA all NBA no, ceiling. No, no. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. But then, like, that's not a building block because you can't win a championship with two All-Stars. You need an All-NBA guy. Yeah. So, okay, so you have a, an All-NBA guy, in my opinion, in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and none of the other dudes have that guy yet. Like, obviously, Paolo Banquero, you just let's see him, like, actually put the ball in the hoop for the first time before we start anointing him that, and, and, and all those guys like that. But to, to answer your first question, what would I do? How would I go about it if I were one a team that had to be good in a couple of years? I would do exactly what the Spurs are eventually going to do and what Houston Rockets have done. We've talked about this in the past, but I love Houston just saying, look, we've 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 been in a situation where we've had these value trades sent to us, value trade being, being here's the 16th pick and we'll get like XYZ guy. Um, and they've gone out and while they've drafted Jalen Green second, they've also drafted, who's that guy I really like? <laughs> uh, the European big. 
Shangun. Shangun, yeah. So yeah. they've got guys like that. They've obviously made a value trade for Kevin Porter Jr. I really like that they got uh, Tari Eason, this most recent draft, Jabari Smith. You know, he's the third best guy, and they had the third pick. Just get a bunch of dudes in. Now, you don't really believe that they can all develop, but I think, like, worst-case scenario, you can trade some of them for value if it's all looking good, right? But then again, they're not all going to look good because not every draft pick is just going to come out and be, it'd be good. Yeah. But something that I really would, like, really would do, and I think something that we can learn from the process six, is, is just get old men in the room and I remember there was this there was this article during like Giannis's rookie or second year season um, where the, the veteran on that team was Jared Dudley and Jared Dudley a dude who was still actually quite serviceable on the basketball court and maybe they could have traded him for a second round pick but Jared Dudley just said I love being the old man just like I love being the guy who's just coming in telling these dudes how to live like a lot of these dudes are teenagers and just him just being like hey, just sort of chill a little bit on spending money. Like just just life skills with just old dudes who just seem really lovable. And Jared Dudley's been on some amazing chemistry situations. Like obviously won the title with the Lakers, was on that amazing um, Brooklyn team that were all best friends. And he had that really good thing with uh, the Jason Kidd. Steve Nash Bucks. Sons. Steve Nash Sons as well. The end of the Suns run. Um, so I would do exactly what we're seeing the Houston Rockets do and what we're hopefully going to see a couple of these other teams do, but just make sure you've got stable old dudes who are happy to be the veteran, who are happy just to like lead this group of young men. Maybe a little bit like what Robin Lopez was doing last year for the for the Magic, just less pronounced. Um, and just I've just got this one thought in my head that I always remember, which there was a Ringer article where they were talking about Jason Kidd, I think this might have been his rookie year as a coach, talking about Jason Kidd's coaching strategy and and you know why it's working. Like outside of just the basketball point of view, they interviewed a lot of the players and said like, why do you play so hard for him? They had some like they they rated well on some you know some hustle metrics or whatever. Um, and Jared Dudley said, well, one thing that Jason Kidd does is like once a week he's got this like NBA trivia thing where he just comes in and says, all right, who you know who it'll be a question about like let's say the 90s Knicks or something or a question about Hakeem Olajuwon or maybe Bill Russell right um, and a lot of these the young dudes on the team were just like not not that they don't know who Hakeem Olajuwon was but they just simply don't know what his fucking block rate was or like if he got the five times five stat line um, and Jared Dudley who apparently just loves the NBA and loves just knowing about all those little details was like hey come here like I'll teach you, I'll show you the answers so they they ended up like um, Jason Kidd would give them the sheet to go home and do some homework they're all just go over to Jared Dudley's house, have dinner. He'd fill out all their answers, say, oh, well, since you actually don't know, let's watch the YouTube clip of Kim Olajuwon getting five blocks and five steals in a game. Like, just cool stuff like that. And I just think that is so valuable. And also, we've seen it fail with Sam Hinkie, where Sam Hinkie was like, I have, at the time, 13 roster spots. I need all 13 roster spots to be working for me in terms of I need all of these roster spots to potentially be a superstar player so I'm going to spend it on Jakar Sampson I'm going to spend it on Jericho Sims not sorry Henry Sims which one? doesn't matter Jericho um, he's like just because on the off chance this dude turns into the next LeBron James which isn't correct because you're going to have dudes that are just never going to work anyway so instead of taking a flyer on your, your bottom three picks bring in a bunch of old dudes long winded answer what are your thoughts? <laughs> I well I think that you're bang on there with regards to you have to have old men in the room but you have to have old men on the court as well mm-hmm. because Jared Dudley he's like like him being there and being the um, you know the sage veteran head and like showing them how to how to be pros and how to like manage life a little bit better has like absolutely has value but it doesn't have as much value as someone who can still play mm-hmm. who's doing that mm-hmm. someone who's out there playing like 20 minutes a night who can really like show 
how it's done. Lead by example on the court rather than leading from the bench. Um, that's where someone like, you know, Udonis Haslam's impact is limited because he hasn't played mm. in four years. Um, but I, I feel like you need to have veterans who are like a part of the team. And what that means is essentially you can't do what Hinky did and say that roster spots 9 through 15 are going to be like boom or bust guys who I'm going to cycle out willy-nilly as I see fit. Mm. That you need to have older players with a role on the team. Yeah, like the Hinky Sixers <clears throat> for two years, they had Jason Richardson who didn't play at all. So like, yeah, you could... And, and that, that wasn't... Could be your argument. That wasn't a situation where... Where you brought him in. Where he's like, you're here as like a, a culture guy. That was a situation where Jason Richardson was like, I want to play. And Hinky's like, no, like you might be too good to play. So like, we're not going to play you. Mm. Um, we're going to play this other guy mm. who is not NBA caliber because we want to lose games. And mm. if it turns out he is NBA caliber, then we'll trade him for a pair of seconds. And then mm. I'll use that to spin on on and on. And I think, you know, casting the eye back, Hinky's approach worked from an asset standpoint because mm. what they ended up with was Jalilic for the third pick, Embiid the third pick, Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz the first picks. Mm. He also so, drafted Nil as well. Yeah, but that's... That's not only is it neither here nor there. It's it's nowhere. <laughs> um, I don't you, think that. What are you talking about? I don't think that. Well, I mean, like, hey, it's fucking New Orleans Noel. Get to him when we talk right? about Detroit. No, I, I mean, I don't think that the sixth pick actually factors into. All right. Anyway, the, I've got enough. The thing. Keep going. No, no. Well, I'm just gonna say I don't think the sixth pick is enough of an asset that it factors into. Something he he gained. I yeah, mean, but yeah. if you're not tanking for the sixth pick, the difference between the sixth and the eighth eighth okay. pick is negligible. Okay, you know you're tanking for a, a, a top four pick realistically, mm. and he got four of those. Mm. So that is essentially exactly what what he was after. Now, bad draft, bad mistake drafting Jaloka for over Chris Porzingis, maybe. Mm. Bad mistake trading up to draft Markel Fultz. Obviously, wasn't a hinky decision. I know. I'm I know. Just talking, I know. Just talking, I know. You know, for the for the team as a <laughs> they the had team the as a whole. The the reason why they're not like a fucking perennial championship team right now with four top three picks on their roster is because they kind of fucked it up a little bit. Mm. Um, but in terms of getting those picks, they did achieve exactly what Hinky set out to achieve. Mm. Um, but I do think that there's something to be said for like the opportunity cost of doing that. Mm. And that's why I'm kind of a bit nervous about the OKC approach to the tank because it is so reminiscent of the Sixers. And I think that they go further in some ways, which we've seen with Shea Gilgis-Alexander the last two seasons and Josh Giddy last season, that they're, they're shutting these guys down if they win too many games. Mm. And SGA in his first year with the club He's playing alongside Schroeder and Chris Paul, and they're this three-headed guard lineup that um, Billy Donovan is rolling out, and they're on their way to win 48 games. SGA like learned from these veteran point guards and from being on a playoff team, and he's trying to take those skills and put them together for his own game, but also lead by example on the court. Mm. And they're actively reducing his opportunities to do that, which not only hurts him, but also, as I'm saying it's important to have older players playing a role who know how to do it on the court. Mm. The young guys coming through would really benefit from playing with SGA, who's learned from the people above him. Like, obviously, he's still mm. 23, 24, but he's, to these young guys, he's a guy who's 
been a starter for whole seasons. He's a guy who's like, mm. you know, like an, an all-star level player. Like you, you think you think a lot about Trey Mann, like his shots are just going to get a little bit better. Exactly right. And he's going to know where to stand because, you know, in the timeout, like as they're walking from the timeout, SGA saying like, okay, like you go over yeah. here. Or when he does this, you do that. Like the, the guy sitting on the bench is great because when they're, in the locker room or at quarter time, like he can just like say what he wants to, but you, you can't say those things on the court. You mm. can't lead by example. Well, well, to back your point up there, John Hollinger had a really good tidbit just just after Golden State won the title where he said to, to Nate Duncan on the on their podcast together um, that just they were talking about what to do with Andre Iguodala and whether to bring him back. And they were talking about the veteran leadership. And John Hollinger goes, well, obviously he's worked in the Memphis front office. And he goes, like there is obviously massive importance to having a guy on the roster um, and like Hugh Jonas has I'm just having him there just to be like telling telling guys what to do and as soon as they become an assistant 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 coach like you know Sean Livingston's an assistant coach for Golden State but he has much less of a draw than Andre Iguodala so they so say there's a massive drop off, drop off between having the 15th roster spot like Iggy right now and then being an assistant coach but he goes there is even a more bigger drop off for, for them having Zach Randolph start the game at the 4 and tell some young kid where to run as opposed to having Zach Randolph being your 15th man like Andre Iguodala so yeah. he goes there's diminishing returns he has seen in his front office experience from a guy who's actually giving you the ball to a dude who's just bringing Wiggins over saying don't do that man to you know Sean Livingston the assistant coach so that backs up what you're saying yeah I mean like it's different you're in the, if you're in the trenches with these guys and you're there and, and you've got this veteran support with you it's different for like you say for them to be on the side of the court yelling and pointing and saying do that because you've got the coaches for that mm. and you kind of like in the game, like you're listening to your coaches, but you're also kind of like tuning them out because you know what's going on. Like your coach being like, you're like, okay, like bro, like I'm out here, I play 35 minutes, I'm sweating bullets, I'm giving everything I've got. You're in a suit on the sideline yelling and pointing like, okay, if someone else is out there sweating bullets with you, giving everything they've got, showing you how it's done, like I think there's real value in that. Mm. And if you look at the age profile of the Oklahoma City Thunder, the only players who kind of have experience in the NBA is Derek Favors and Mike Muscala. The rest of them are all <laughs> under 25. Yeah. Um, Mike Muscala's NBA experience is like negligible, <laughs> realistically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Derek Favors, Derek Favors is someone who has heaps of experience on being on really good teams, been on bad teams. He started his career on the Utah Jazz. Mm. Um, sorry, he, he started his career on the Nets and was traded to the Jazz in his second season and was like bad for a few years. Like he's got the experience. It looks like he's going to be traded. Hmm. He's not someone all, who's all in, bought out. Yeah. He's not someone who's in here for like the value that he brings. He's someone who's 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 there to bring in other other sorts of value. Like he's going to be, you know, out. And I I think that there's there are diminishing returns when you get five 21 year olds on the court because what you're hoping for is that you turn into the the 2009 Thunder. Yeah, and you're you you end up with like three All NBA players and like a fucking All Star level player on your roster and that's I'll tell you what I think we need to do when we talk about tanking and when we talk about teams accumulating assets I think we need to completely remove the OKC Thunder from the discussion in terms of like that Russell Westbrook Kevin Durant because to draft three MVPs will never be done again no never and I think by by people talking about tanking they say oh but what if you draft Kevin Durant Russell Westbrook and James Harden like that is such an outlier look at the second best situation and there's literally nothing that comes to our heads as what the next the second maybe maybe the process sixes right well I was thinking I was thinking Boston 
Yeah, okay, but that's like... Which is way, way, way worse. And they obviously had the Brooklyn thing as well. So it's like, there is... That'll never happen again. So pretty much if you're you're out there, if if there's any GMs listening to us, get that out of your head. If there's any owners... But don't you think that Sam Presti is trying to do that again? And Sam Presti is banking on that happening again? Yeah. Which is the discussion we're having, Dante. Yeah. But I will, I will go back to the Houston Rockets. Tell Sam Hinkie to listen to the pod because <laughs> if, if he hears what you just said, maybe he'll think twice. <laughs> um, yeah, going back to the Houston Rockets, I they obviously had. By the way, I don't love the Houston Rockets rebuild. Like I question some of their decisions, but yeah, they, you know they, who they are. Know who is, don't you? Yeah, that as well. Um, what's Tillman, their name? Dirty fingers. Dirty fingers for Tita. But I do like some of the moves they've done recently. Now, they had the, the terrible chemistry situation last year where they were going to fire the coach of a fucking tanking team 20 games into the year. They did also lose, like, 25 games I know, in a row. Christian, as Caitlin Cooper put it on her most recent podcast with Nate Duncan doing it for the, talking about the Indiana Pacers, she says... Um, Christian Wood displayed the worst defensive big man game I've ever watched in her entire life. And he's going to save the Mavericks. <laughs> um, but obviously, he major chemistry issues um, last season for the Houston Rockets. But they've got a guy in Eric Gordon who can play a role in the NBA. So he's one of the guys who could be out there in the trenches. But when they made that trade to get out of... Um, uh, who's the guy I just mentioned? Christian Wood. They got back in return... Um, Marquise Chris, Boban Marjanovic, and Trey. Do they get? Who's that guy who used to play for Trey Burke? No, they didn't. Yes, they did. Um, and they said they actually really want to keep those guys because they really like understand the value of having a veteran in there. When I heard that, I was like, it was my brain went through the whole entire trivia Jared Dudley thing. Um, so I'm like, that's awesome. They're doing the right thing. Now they've got fucking 20 roster spots filled up on a 15 man roster, um, excluding two two ways, right? So they need to make some decisions and need to make them fast. But like, at least they're doing the right thing where it's like, okay, we've got all these high to mid first round picks and even late first round picks. We've got some old men like Boban Marjanovic. We've got someone like Eric Gordon who can be out there. And they actually learned, there was an article on The Athletic where they said, hang on, having Dennis Schroeder for the second half of the season after he got traded from Boston, having Dennis Schroeder there just to actually play games and just say to Jalen Green, you got to cut when a point guard like me does that. Like that's, then it was just an article talking about how valuable that is. Um, that's awesome. And they're doing the right thing. And and that's like, you know, I, I lived this experience as a Suns fan watching like the the late teens Suns where we had Josh Jackson, Marcus Chris, Dragon Bender all drafted in the top eight. And they're supposed to be like the building blocks of our team going forward. And our point guards were no one. It was like mm. cycling through the absolute worst of the worst. It was mm. like Tyler Eulis and Elia Kobo and, you know, fucking, um, you know, no, no one, no one good. Like yeah. Javon Carter, Javon Carter came over from Memphis at the end of that run. Yeah. Um, and those players were not good, as has been borne out by their experience in Phoenix and their 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 NBA careers going onwards. Like none of them have found any success mm. um, or any lasting success. Josh Jackson's kind of like proven he can maybe be a rotation player. Mm. Um, those players would have benefited from having an actual point guard play. You know, you can't... I, I just don't think you can overstate the benefit of having that person who can tell you what to do and point where to go, but also just, you know, keep things ticking over, keep things running in a healthy ecosystem mm. because you don't, like, you don't want Jalen Green to average 25 points and shoot 39% from the field. That's actually worthless. Yeah. If Jalen Green is 
getting into the habit of taking awful shots. Mm. Um, habits that's going to be really hard for him to break when the team is good. Uh, you don't want that. So yeah. the best way for him to get in the habit of taking good shots is to get him good shots. Yeah. And the best way to get him good shots is to have people who actually know how to play basketball. Well, to answer your question from before, if I was in charge of a team, I would just get a veteran point guard like Goran Dragic and just start him 20 minutes a game. Um, and just this chat right now has made me remember, um, remember right after seeing he got fired, um, who was the guy who came in with the big colours? Ah, Colangelo. Colangelo came in. Um, and the first movie he did was sign Ish Smith off the waiver wire. And Ish Smith was like a savior for the Sixers. He came in, he like hit a game winner and then helped them win like two games out of three. And then everyone was just like, oh my God, a veteran point guard. Just get a veteran point guard. Like, you know, sign Goran Dragic. Just have Goran Dragic to be there for someone like um, Jalen Green or all your and, young guards. And like, like again, to go back to the Dudley point, like, like obviously Jared Dudley brings a lot of value and wealth of experience, and he can lend his, um, he can lend his perspective really well. But like someone like Eric Gordon, without being able to speak on Eric Gordon's personal characteristics, of which I know very little, <laughs> Eric Gordon plays the same position as Jalen Green. Eric Gordon has made tons of money and at various points has been the highest paid player on his team or in the top two or three highest earners. Mm. He's been a 24-year-old earning $20 million a year and walking around like he fucking owns the city, which is something that Jared Dudley, Jared Dudley has never really experienced. Yeah. Um, you know, like someone like KG being on, um, on the Timberwolves when Kat was really young. Like, yeah. he's someone who plays the same position. He's been at the top of the league. He can tell you what it's like to be the best player on a team. Jared Dudley can tell the eighth best player on the team what it's like to be in his in his position. But I don't necessarily know if he could speak to, like, the stars. But, like, having good, relevant veterans in there who can, you know, like I keep saying, like, play a role on the court, mm. I think is really valuable. But um, in saying that... I do think there's a line. I think there's a line which... For sure, because like, you don't want, like, you don't want Eric Gordon out there playing alongside Jalen Green and Jalen Green really benefiting and you're you're harming KPJ because you're not getting him enough minutes. You don't want that. Like, yeah, well, n- not even that, because just to have the veteran, you need to have a human being there. Right? I don't think having three guards is going to, like, completely clog up your rotation. They've obviously got, thank you, thank you, Washington, who can be a really good point guard in my eyes. But I'm more talking about the Detroit Pistons, which I alluded to before, that, all right, they've got some veterans in there who can help, you know, teach these guys what to do. They've got Kelly Olenek, um, they in a salary dump trade. they got Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks. Um, Kemba Walker got waived, you know? Did he end up getting... No, I think he's still on the, I think he's still yeah. on the team. Um, but he'll, he'll, he'll probably be waived. Yeah. Um, also, when you play 2K My League on the modded rosters that I use for 2023, um, Kemba sits on the wave wire, like as as he probably will, um, but you can't sign him for less than $20 million. Mm. And he's rated 79 That's why 2K is so the worst. Yeah, imagine pre-ordering it. Bro, like, you, you, you oh, and also, oh, keep going. I was going to say you should jump on Football Manager. Yeah, I, I showed some, you. Some guy... Um, made his own country he like made a mod <laughs> where he can make his own country and yeah. he like created a league in this in this imaginary yeah. country and he like put it into the world and he's like managing in, in, in this country <laughs> that's funny um and 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 Hugh, sorry and detroit also have Corey joseph but i think at some point you know you, you might have guys that are going to play and be in the trenches with them but like you need to develop marvin bagley and um jalen duran 
and he's now fighting for I mean, more more Jalinger than Marvin Bagley, but <clears throat> yeah. he's now fighting for minutes with New Orleans Noel and Kelly Olenek. And you could say, yeah, maybe one of them get traded, but like, what are you doing? You've got these guys under contract for a year after this next one. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be a fight. Like, um, there's nothing that Nerlens Noel and you know Alec Burks um, throw him in there as well. There's nothing that they can do in this. Um, Let's say that they're, it's likely that they're traded around the trade deadline. That's, that's I think, realistic. Mm. There's nothing they can do between now and February in the next six months that will drastically increase their value. If you traded Alec Burks at the trade deadline, you're probably getting a first-round pick. First-round pick. Maybe you're getting one for Nerlens Noel. Maybe you're not. Mm. Um, because Alec Burks has done everything in his career that's showing the other playoff teams this is what you can give. People know what they're getting from Nerlens Noel. So I think you can play them... 20 minutes a game and it's not a battle for Jalen Duran to get minutes and if he shows in his 24 minutes a game that he's ready for 30 mm. you don't have to keep playing the veteran because you can say like look this is what's happening you need to continue to do this and we'll work out a trade for you at, at, at a time that's feasible well, and that it's, still it's, gives it's a little bit value. like how Lamelo Ball came in because remember he wasn't starting when he was a rookie he was behind Terry Rozier and someone else and then they eventually elevated. would it have been Terry Rozier and Devontae yeah, far yeah. out. That sucks. Yeah. Devontae, we we actually, I mean, you know, I can't remember what you were saying, but I remember saying, <laughs> this is an aberration, this is a blip. Even when people were like, he should be an all-star. I never said all-star, but I was like, he's very efficient on a hard shot, which was off the dribble threes. Yeah, he's very but efficient how, on that specific shot. But how often do you play... see an aberration from the hardest part of the court? <clears throat> um, what, um, what, what number, you, you, you can guess what number it starts with, but what, what do you think it is? What number is the field goal percentage starts with? Let's fucking... It's let's, a three. It's a three. No, it's obviously a three. Rip the wound off. It's obviously a three, but let's... So with the Pelicans that, last that year... Se- no, that season, the 2019-20 season, he's like... his inverted commas all-star season. Most where he averaged year. 18 points yeah. and seven and a half assists. So I wrote an article at the time about what he was doing, and I know he shot better from three than he did the field. No, nah, you're actually wrong. That 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 would be kind. Of, that would statistically be incorrect. What a dumb comment to say. Um, you're, you're almost <laughs> you're almost right, but you're not. It was like it was like thirty nine forty. Nah, it, it's actually worse. It's thirty eight <laughs> from the field and thirty seven from three. Um, <laughs> his career high is thirty eight from the field, and his career from the field is thirty six with a thirty seven from uh from with thirty six with a thirty five from three. He's only small, but yeah, <laughs> man. There's there's big guys who can miss a lot of shots. The, they exist. The Pelicans. So why do we need to get small guys who can miss a lot of shots? The Pelicans let Lonzo walk uh, to sign a point guard and free agency that they hoped was if, Chris Paul or Kyle Lowry. If the Pelicans end up being good, it will be a tragedy that all of the terrible things that David Griffin did over that like 18 month <laughs> period um, go unnoticed. One, one thing that I want to talk about um, that pertains to this discussion, mm-hmm. which I think is an issue for player, for teams like Houston and like a, an Oklahoma City who were just saying like, you know, OKC, we know what they're doing. Houston over the last two drafts has brought in six first round picks. Mm-hmm. So over one third of their roster are, are first round picks with one or less years of NBA experience. Yeah. So that's quite a substantial representation of young players. Um, obviously, what you're hoping for 
is that a few of those young players develop into bona fide stars, Maxim, and then you got you've got a great young team that you can, you know, not saying that it's directly comparable because we're banning this, but <laughs> a la Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah. A great young team that you can build with, grow with, tinker around the edges, but you've got really the foundations and like the core in place. Mm. And one problem with that is if those players end up becoming all star all NBA level players, you max them, fine, no problems. If you end up drafting at the top of the draft and you take a player like RJ Barrett, mm. Rowan, as we like to call him, who went third a few years ago, mm. that's someone who has not really distinguished himself and definitively proven that he even can be a one-time all-star mm. after three seasons, mm. um, but would still probably command a max if he hits the open market. Mm. someone will max him without the guarantee that he'll ever even be an all-star in the Eastern Conference, mm. which, you know, if you're asking me, I'm saying no. Mm. I'm saying that that won't happen. I'm saying that he couldn't be the third best player on a championship team. Yeah. But if you get yourself into that situation where you've invested a high pick in someone who's proven to be good but not great, you are then going to be financially obligated to pay. And what happens with those contracts is not that you can move them for value later because you can't you end up being like the Timberwolves with Wiggins where you attach a first round pick just to get another average contract back mm. in. And that can really fuck up your rebuild. Well, I mean, that, that, that's the worst case scenario, like paying Wiggins to be a superstar when he's a, you know, a lower end all-star, right? But you can't get, like if you can't get out of a max contract with ease if, if they're bad. Yeah, but what- Especially what, if they're bad- what, what young it, and locked up for multiple years. That's like, I, aside from a Westbrook level contract, like that's like the least tradable contract. Yeah. But, but what if, you know, what if, what if you just talk about the middle outcome where you've drafted Miles Turner, he's not a superstar, but he's a good player. You get him on, what is he, like 11 mil a year? Miles Turner, I think he's on 17. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, worst case scenario, it's still tradable because there's not too much money in the, the game. Difference between that, the difference with that though is like, if you said to RJ Barrett, we'll give you um, we'll give you a four-year, $70 million deal, he's walking out of the brim. Miles mm. Turner has proven to be a good defensive center and a high-level starter. He also was drafted 11th, which mm. is outside that realm where you expect... I mean, draft him. pedigree hangs around for so long, doesn't Dra- it? Draft pedigree also, I think, intangibly hangs around with how the player perceives themselves. Yeah. RJ Barrett is saying, like, I was in contention to be the number one pick. I've yeah. been, like, the, the second best player on this team for three years now. Reward me. Yeah. You need to show me some recompense for all that I've done for you. And teams, like, listen to that because that's a pretty compelling argument. But if you had... If you have one player like that, like let's say like, you know, in a few years time, like Giddy is like that, you know, KC, mm. you've already got Shea on a max, but whether Shea can be that player that's like transcendent and the best player on like a final like four Like an all-NBA all Yeah, NBA whether he's going to be a, a guy that's, that's dragging you through playoff rounds is entirely up for debate. And if Giddy ends up being one of these Barrett type players where they command max money, but they're realistically only worth like in the mid twenties, mm. um, all of a sudden your calculations get a little bit more difficult mm. and it becomes a little bit easier to see how instead of unlocking this, like, um, you know, this plethora of options and you've got all this youth and f- flexibility mm. moving forward, you're actually like yeah. kind of locked in on long, con- long expensive yeah. contracts. Well, it's a little bit like my mate, um, 
Shingun, right? Obviously can't be too good friends with him because I've, I've stuffed up his name twice. But yeah. You can just call him Alpie. Alpie. Like, if he... Like, his best case scenario might be Nikola Vucevic, right? Okay, yeah. Like, that could just be who he is. And he gets to free agency and he goes, well, I just averaged 20 points and 10 rebounds with four cheeky assists and two steals. Um, just give me give me all the money in the world. And they go, okay, those those are actually great counting stats and you could be Nikola Jokic, but he could just be capped at Nikola Vucevic for the rest of his, for the rest of his years. And then we're going to be in a situation like you just talked about where it's like okay, that you can't trade that, you can't trade that pick at all, uh, you can't trade that player. Let's just take a little bit of a break. The depth, the the deep, the ugh, the deep two. God, that's a mouthful. Anyways, I'm Marco, co-host of the. Hey, Daniel Gafford, what's the name of our podcast? The JVG NBA Tribute Show. Well, I can't believe it's that easy. Thanks, Gaff. You probably know us as two members of the Four Man Weave plus Marco, but we know you as our next listener. Well said, Lucas. I gotta ask, how do we differ from the pack of basketball podcasts? It's a great question, Marco. You see, on our basketball podcast, we have two male co-hosts. Wow, truly groundbreaking. After this episode, stay on your favourite podcasting app and give us a spin. And we're back. Um, yeah, so you could be you could be stuck in a situation like that. Mm. You see teams pay that, though. But what do you want to do? What's what's your alternative? Well, the alternative is to... Stop drafting, dudes. No, but the <laughs> alternative, I, I guess, is to like not cast such a wide net. Again, I keep coming back to OKC, but Houston falls into this as mm, well. But more like, bites at the apple. More bites at the apple, but also more chances to lock yourself in because if you feel like you've invested in this player and it comes down to, oh, like, are we maybe going to overpay for him or are we going to lose not only the investment on the draft pick, but also on the four years that we put into this player. Or if they're actually good, the three years, because you're extension eligible after three. Mm. And how many times has you know an extension eligible player signed a contract that one year later is like, Phew. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe we're going to see Sam Hinkie do something different here. Because we saw at the start of the offseason... Sam Hinkie? Sorry, um, Sam Presti. Presti was just like, you know what? Isaiah Roby isn't it. And just it's let him very go. different for a minimum very different guy for a minimum guy versus someone who is you have considered or hoped to be foundational and so I think whilst the the avenue isn't to stop drafting the avenue isn't to just shy away from taking first round picks and and building them into your future plans it is a pitfall that comes with this wide net um, mode because people think of the process of sixes they think of like bringing in undrafted guys and hoping that they become stars or bringing mm. in a second round pick and hoping you can find value from that. But what what it actually is, if you do it well, is concentrated on high value um, uh, prospects. And I don't mean prospects as in, in individuals. I mean like a high value opportunity with this player. Mm. And if that even looks like it could be realistic, you're going to pay for it. And mm, even, mm. you know, 28, 29 of the 30 teams will pay for it. Mm. It's why, like, the decision to extend De'Aaron Fox was lauded. So fast, yeah. Everyone was like, yeah, of course you, this guy just did this in his third year, of yeah, course you yeah, extend yeah. him. The Wiggins decision was like, yeah, like, he's going to get better than this. He's yeah. going to continue to improve. Like, th- this decision gets made all the time. And when it doesn't work which does happen frequently, that player is then really hard to move because yeah. De'Aaron Fox is like not necessarily a movable contract for what you would consider value. 
unless he proves that he is the player that he looked like he was two seasons ago, he's just going to be earning close to $40 million for the next three years, like on your, on your dime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mini again had to attach the, the pick that ended up being eighth overall to get off Wiggins and bring in Russell. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a singularly disastrous trade because not only did they attach the pick, but they got, they got the worst player in return. Um, but it is, a, I think, an unavoidable pitfall when you're trying to get two, three, four guys in who are like high pedigree draft picks Mm. that if even one of them doesn't hit in the way you want but doesn't fail enough to be discardable like the Sixers did with Julio Okafor, they said, you're not actually going to cut it. We're just going to get rid of you and trade you away for nothing. If you're in that middle ground, you can very easily get like locked in um, into a Vucevic type contract, Mm. um, which unless you have a plucky Chicago team looking to come along and overpay for a contract like that um, can be difficult to move and if you if you keep them around like you're you're just paying big money for like an average player hmm. um, how do you want to wrap this up because we've said a lot of things um, we have this has very much been like throw at the wall <laughs> seg uh, yeah I don't, I don't know I mean obviously the, the answer isn't to stop drafting but also at some point it just comes down to you know, the egos of these lead decision makers where it's like, if you do draft Jaron Fox and, you know, obviously there's been heaps of dudes making decisions around Jaron Fox, get the freak down, bro. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, I'm not speaking to Dante. <laughs> he, he, uh, he typed on my, on my keyboard, 45. <laughs> what do they mean, Mason? <laughs> um, yeah, like it just comes down to the individual egos of the dudes making the decisions. Where if you draft a guy, like if you draft Killian Hayes and it goes bad, it's like, oh crap, we stuffed it up. But if you draft Darren Fox, Darren Fox isn't the best point guard in the world, but you're going to pay him like it because you're like, man, we got potential. I can sell that. I can sell it to my bosses. I can sell it to my fan base. So we're just going to keep having these these decisions. And whether it's luck or skill, we're just going to have to hope that the team we're rooting for or the team that's, you know, we want to see them do well, we just have to hope that they get the right decision. They draft the right guy. Like, okay, see, we have to hope that they know what they're doing. Cause like Josh Kitty's Josh Kitty's second contract might not be very good. Like it, it might not be a very attractive contract. If he continues to be like, you know, a triple double machine and stuff, what if he gets paid more than the fifth wheel in a championship? If you're a near max player, you get maxed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. just the way that the NBA works. And, mm. and unfortunately, like if you're paying someone who's worth, you know, I'm, I mean, these numbers are going to sound crazy, but this is what it's going to look like very shortly for max contracts. But if you're a $30 million player and you're getting paid 37, 39, 41, 44, like all of a sudden by halfway through the contract, your value is completely warped. Mm. Um, and yeah, that I think could be a real problem. Mm. Um, I think, I think in terms of wrapping up, <laughs> Why don't we come back to kind of how we started and, and I'll just ask you who out of the teams that are like currently looking to do this, you're most optimistic about. Not necessarily like who's going to win a championship first, but like mm. who's going to succeed with their plan. Yeah. Uh, I got to say Detroit, just being able to draft in the top three and then being able to draft in the top 10, like that's just so sexy to be able to like get Cade and then the next year you get Jaden Ivey and Jalen Durant. Like it's a, it's a 2K rebuild. It's, it's, it's amazing. What do you reckon? I, I want to say Detroit as well um, because I, I'm really bought in on, on, on Cade as like a potential all-NBA kind of like tie that lifts all boats type operator. Mm. Um, and if 
Jaden Ivey hits or like there you go like that's your that's your offense unto itself yeah um, and I think that that despite the fact that guys like Burks and Noel might be um, sent out uh, in trade to, to bring in more assets I think the signing of a guy like Kelly Olynyk. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, like, I'm. I'm just to say, I'm not worried about Blake Burks and Noel. Like, um, yeah, I don't actually think they're going to stop his development. No, no, but I, what I'm what I'm saying is that I think that there, I think that there's a commitment to bring the the, the right types of veterans in mm. and to kind of like leverage their experience. So I think the young guys will be in a positive learning environment, um, which is part of the reason why I'm very bullish on Detroit <laughs> being good within a few years. Yeah, um, I had a bit of a tirade to go on about Chris Duarte being a trade chip and like sort of why the fuck would you draft the 24 year old with your, like, your 13th pick um, but we can save that for another time slash never talk about it because it's <laughs> not actually that interesting <laughs> as a Cam Johnson stan I love talking about why would you draft 24 year olds I mean, so yeah. I'm always I'm always down for it you know, you've got you've got my number we can connect <laughs> we can connect uh, offline if you want to talk about it yeah no alright uh, Dante I'll speak to you next week peace We were over the moon when we first heard that the NBA was going to be televised on Australian free-to-air TV in the 2019-20 season. It didn't exactly go swimmingly with the nasty cough halting the season and games getting cancelled left, right and centre, but it was a huge step and an exciting one for basketball fans all across the country. Better yet, it wasn't a commercial channel cashing in on some basketball nerds like us. It was SBS, one of our public broadcasters. Unfortunately, the NBA wasn't the only thing SBS was pushing last season. They also ran advertisements from Sportsbet, Ladbroke, Bet365, BetEasy and Neds, some of the biggest sports betting companies in Australia. In a one step forwards, two steps backwards move, SBS has dropped the ball here. As a public broadcaster, SBS plays a key role in providing relevant, culturally appropriate health information to local communities. The last thing SBS should be doing is offering a platform for gambling companies during the most financially unstable time in recent memory. This past year, men aged 18 to 24 made up 79% of new gambling account holders with increased median spending and frequency of bets. This is the last thing we should be spending our money on given the financial uncertainty that comes with the pandemic. During COVID lockdowns, wagering companies spent more money on advertising and incentives to gamble, and it worked. SBS needs to hear from viewers that gambling ad revenue isn't worth the harm it causes. Call on the SBS chair, George Savitas, to put community health ahead of gambling revenue by signing the petition at www.endgamblingads.org.au forward slash get gambling off SBS with hyphens in between.